0: You're listening to the sixth season of Enacting the Kingdom, a podcast about the intersection of liturgy and life. I'm Father Jeffrey Reddy, director of Orthodox Christian Studies at Trinity College, part of the University of Toronto. I'm also the rector of Holy Mirabas Orthodox Mission in Toronto. I'm joined by my former student and good friend Father Yuri Gladio, who pastors Saint Maria of Paris Orthodox Mission in Hamilton. For our sixth season, Father Yuri and I will be making public our series on the Desert Fathers and Mothers of the Church, previously released only for our patrons. You'll be hearing the episodes exactly as they were originally released. We release special private issues for our Patreon subscribers on a weekly basis. If you like what you hear and you'd like access to more podcast content, you can go to patreon.com forward slash enacting the kingdom or go to enactingthekingdom.com and follow the link from there. For now, we hope you enjoy the public release of this episode.
1: Welcome to the Enacting the Kingdom private podcast. You're listening to this because you've chosen to financially support this project, and Father Jeffrey and I are so grateful to have you as part of our Patreon community. As a show of our gratitude, please accept this Patreon-only episode as a special thank you. Well, Father Jeffrey, we're doing something we've never done before, and that is a series for our patrons—a series just for our patrons—and I'm excited about it. Hmm. Normally, we just
0: save the juicy topics for them, right? Right, but we're gonna do well. We're gonna do both because these are <laughs> gonna be
1: full of juicy topics, but also be a consistent series. Uh, and and for those listening, um, <coughs> excuse me, <clears throat> uh, this series will be uh, coming out on the first and the third, and if it applies, the fifth Thursday of every month, uh, which means that this series will be available to all patrons at all tiers. So if you're listening to this and you're worried that you're not in the right tier, that you might miss an episode, don't worry about it. This series will be available for all patrons on all tiers. Uh, And then for the patrons in the higher tiers on the off weeks, we're going to make sure to throw in some extra juicy episodes in just for you uh, on those off weeks. Um, so the series we're going to be doing is exploring the sayings of the desert fathers and mothers, the desert fathers and mothers. Um, I, this is a fascinating topic. Often us as Orthodox Christians are told, well, you, you go read the desert fathers or go, you know, th- things like that. Some of us might be familiar with people like St. Anthony the Great um, and maybe a couple of other sayings. I, I think probably a lot of us Orthodox are familiar with some of these sayings without even knowing that it's actually a saying of the desert fathers it's just sort of a piece of wisdom that that people sort of keep repeating so before we before we get into uh, we're not going to get into any particular saying in this intro episode but for this introductory episode i'd like to father jeffrey with you contextualize where and when did these desert, desert fathers live and why did they live that way and then why do these why have these sayings come down to us uh, in this form uh, so many centuries later. So, maybe a good place to start is the history of it. Um, where are we and when are we?
0: Right. So, we're as early as the third century. Um, you know, some of the ones you mentioned there, St. Anthony, for example, you know, live from the middle of the third century into the middle of the fourth century, um, and this is really what you would call the beginning of the monastic spirituality, monastic life within the Orthodox Church, which of course continues down to our day. But there's something even more fundamental about it. It's not just a matter of saying, okay, well, the the church kind of originated this this new form of of Christian life uh, in in response to whatever the historical circumstances were. But there's this kind of aspect of clarifying almost you know un- uniquely focusing on key gospel principles that emerges in the 3rd 4th and then uh, f- centuries beyond that which is meaningful not just for monasticism in orthodoxy but for all Christians and i think that's what is so attractive about you know this period and why as you say people have you know, often get that advice to go and read the desert fathers and, and mothers. So even if you don't read, you know, very much in monastic literature, even if you don't immerse yourself in, in that life, then there's something meaningful and special about these particular figures. And it really comes from the fact that, you know, in the very early centuries of the church, um, there was a, you know, a kind of clear focus to, Christian mission to the Christian life, right? It there, there was a, you know, not always and everywhere, but it was a life that was, you know, confronted with the possibility of martyrdom. And so many of the, you know, the early Christians would have kind of faced that constant pressure and tension and even, you know, suffering martyrdom themselves. By the third century, you know, in in certain parts of the Christian world, what you begin to see is a kind of cultural settling, right, in the cities, in 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 the places, different parts of the empire, and even outside of, of the Christian Empire. And and a a kind of compromise of the gospel. Now, for us today, this just looks normal, right? The Christianity as a cultural phenomenon, Christianity as a as something that you just kind of practice here and there, maybe pick up as a hobby. You know, it, it's an identity card you carry, but it doesn't really affect your life a whole lot. But this is the beginnings of that, really, around the third century, uh, up to up till then. I mean, if you're a Christian, you're a committed Christian because you faced the possibility of being thrown to the, the lions the next day. And so it rather focused your attention and sharpened the, you know, the, the degree mm-hmm. of, of commitment that you would have had. But by the third century, as I say, there's, there's the kind of cultural settling in. And this is an entirely new thing. And as I say we've been living with it up to our own day. But the response of these holy men and women, uh, the so-called desert fathers and mothers, was to say, we're not going to settle. Right. Um, And it's interesting. We get this word monasticism, which comes from the Greek monachos, you know, which which means um, kind of solitary. Right. And we often think of that as, well, they've gone off to be alone. Right. This that the, the connection is with them being alone. But that's not at all what it was. It was about this unique focus, this solitary focus on the gospel. Right. On an utter dependence on God and an utter trust in God, on. Finding outside of the kind of compromises in the culture of the world where, you know, you take a little bit of the veneer of Christianity and, and basically wrap it around an otherwise this worldly, you know, kind of existence. This was about people that said, no, we may not be facing the prospect of martyrdom tomorrow, but we're going to find the same value in this total commitment, this total focus this monachos this solitary focus on what the gospel means in terms of you know being aware of god's presence uh recognizing that worldly pr- pleasures don't have or lead to long-term satisfaction we want to experience god in every moment and redirect every part of our lives to to prayer to service to to mission and it's this this response let's say that leads, you know, directly to, you know, through various stages, all of the forms of monasticism and so forth that we have in the church. But ultimately, it's a way of responding to what is, you know, a, a complete abandonment of the gospel. uh Ultimately, a kind of you know, emptying of, of its power, emptying of, of of the sense of this is the new kingdom, the the new age, the 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 life of God of heaven and earth coming together, all of that has been lost, because all we're going to do is just sort of say, yeah, we're we're Christians, but we're going to wrap that around the world as we know it already. And we're just going to live according to the the principles of the world around it. All of that is being rejected by these people, these Christians, these holy men and women who decide that, no, they're going to take what it says in the gospel rather seriously you know indeed and so in that sense i say it's we should we shouldn't just jump to the conclusion of saying oh well this is this is the beginning of monasticism and we'll leave it at that doesn't really have a lot to say to me What, what its most important role is for actually kind of prophetically recalling us to the fact that you know what after all the gospel matters that jesus And what he did in his prophetic acts, in his life, death, resurrection, ascension, this matters. This should affect our lives. We should ultimately have some sense that that has actually taken place and we are participants in it. And it shouldn't just be that, you know, you you only know when we open our mouths and speak about being Christians, but it should affect the way we actually uh the things we value, the things we choose to do, the the kind of life that that we live. And so always and everywhere, you know, whether we are proximate to the deserts of Egypt, Syria, Palestine, Arabia, and other places where they went to to live and to to kind of practice this life, or whether we are in cities, towns, and, and places throughout the world, you know, different circumstances, nevertheless, what they point us to, and the kind of life that they exemplify, is still that same life that that we can choose to have today if we follow and and if we if we hear their stories, the the parables and proverbs and and all of that that beautiful stuff. It was captured in a kind of oral tradition, and then finally written down. There is a whole lot of different. um collections and and variety of of the sayings and of the stories of the desert fathers and, and mothers, some various famous ones that that were done, and then, you know, certain key figures who, you know, took those forward and, as I say, developed, you know, different forms of monasticism from that. They included, you know, figures like John Cassian and then Benedict, who followed from him in, in the West. And then you've got, you know, um you know Saint Basil and 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 the kind of formation of cenobitic monasticism, which is the kind of community based monasticism um, in in the eastern part of, of Christianity. But all of that kind of starts here. It starts in this crucible of commitment, crucible of saying the gospel matters. That that suddenly, you know, we may not have martyrdom focusing our attention but we need to to make a very serious commitment to this indeed and so it's it's all about encounter it's about self-reflection it's about experience of god it's about humility it's about love of neighbor it's basically about everything that you would expect to find if you took the gospel seriously
1: us Orthodox love the term quote unquote the fathers right and, and it actually can get a little bit confusing for people what do we even what do we even mean when we're saying the fathers? And, and I do want to just draw a distinction here between what we might call the desert fathers and the fathers in general. Uh, the fathers in general being, you know, the men who were uh, instrumental in um, uh, drawing out kind of the boundaries of theology and, and things like that. People who, when we look back on them, uh, were, are foundational to our church. Uh, that being said, the desert fathers is like a, a it's like a, it's a smaller portion of that. The, these are people who went to become monastics and lived in the desert. Often, like people like Saint Anthony, did not actually. It seemed that they were illiterate. All right, there's lots about Athanasius writes the life of Anthony, and there's a lot about the fact that he's illiterate, except that he's wise. Right, um, and so you have these desert fathers. And and the other thing uh, I'd like to bring up is you'll often hear, you know, Father Jeffrey and I maybe talking about the Desert Fathers and Mothers, because there were women who went out into the desert to be monastics as well. But almost all of the sayings that come to us in this tradition of the sayings of the Desert Fathers are from men. And they so uh, often Orthodox people will talk about the Desert Fathers, and they'll kind of leave out the mothers, even though there were uh, a couple at least um, – women whose sayings we have to this day. So, I think those are two things to keep in mind, that when we're talking about Desert Fathers, it's a particular swath of those kind of broader kind of church fatherhood, uh, maybe even a different branch of what that is. I'll get your take on that, Father Jeffrey. Uh, And then, there's uh, also uh, there are some women thrown in there. So we usually refer to it, I'll, I try to refer to it as fa- uh, as the Desert Fathers and Mothers because there are mothers in that cohort. But that being said, there aren't many and it's almost exclusively men. But I'll get your take on, on all that, Father Jeffrey, if you think that's a good way of, of framing that.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think the, the core question of what's patristic tradition, uh, you know, it depends on on where your focus is in in terms of addressing that, right? Uh, Often we, we are looking at that in a kind of dogmatic sense, right? So we think of the fathers who gathered at ecumenical councils, for example, or who in between times were instrumental in... Kind of promulgating, proclaiming, defending, you know, those teachings. So you think of the great Cappadocian fathers, you know, in the fourth century who, you know, between Nicaea and Constantinople. And then, you know, even in the aftermath of that were defending key aspects of Christology and everything. So you think of very theologically, very dogmatically and, and so forth. But, you know, in some senses, you know, even then, when we're using the term fathers, we should principally be f- referring to them as, you know, men of prayer, actually, you know, and uh, this comes back to that famous quote from Evagrius that, you know, a, a theologian is one who prays and one who truly prays is a theologian, right? So, it, that should really be our criterion. It's not that, okay, we, we give the term father to, to those great writers or though because they were really well educated or because, you know, they, they were really well, well published, you know, in their day or whatever. It's not those criteria. Ultimately, the, the criteria that we apply and we think about people as fathers, even Saint Basil, Saint Gregory the theologian, Saint John Chrysostom and so forth, it's, it's principally actually the, the way that they were good pastors, men of prayer, great great homilists, uh, responsible for you know doing tremendous work in terms of the church's mission and so forth. Well, in that regard, you know, yes, these often humble. And it came from all backgrounds, by the way, the, these desert fathers and, and mothers. But you know, some of them were rich, some of them were kind of middle class, some of them were were poor and uneducated and illiterate, as you say. But regardless of you know, whatever background they came from, what we value in them is that they were people of prayer, you know, that they were people who were, were humble, who, people who, who were transparent to, to the life of Christ, people who, who cared for people when they came to them, right? There, there was tremendous amount of, of, flow between you know the the people who were kind of in the, the cities where christianity was being corrupted and debased and compromised people who craved this authentic you know experience, spiritual experience and christian gospel living and came out and became disciples of, of these great figures well they were they were doing pastoring and and mission and and service it was never a withdrawal from you know any of that totality of that gospel life and so i think the same things you know yes we can make that distinction here's the the church fathers who who were responsible for teaching and, and dogma and and for the councils and so forth but but ultimately why we call them fathers is for the same reason that they are people who knew god and who were able to live a life in union with god uh, putting on Christ, and you know, in, energized by the power of the Holy Spirit, we're able to do things in and through the the church in their day. And so, in that regard, you know, we mightn't draw quite a, a, as much a hard and fast you know, distinction between well, here's the, the teaching fathers and here's the desert fathers or or whatever. I think ultimately what we're looking for is the same thing as we kind of hold them up as exemplars, you know, in our life. And then you're, you know, quite right. I mean, it's just a fact of history that the the, the role and, um, you know, the kind of profile given to women just has not been the same as, as for men. And it, there's no question there were great numbers of women who followed this same path Um, and we we know of you know lots of examples where there were you know many you know people who followed this life but we just don't have their names and recorded in the sayings obviously the vast majority of the sayings are from from men but there are some key Names of women, there's, uh, Sincletica, Sarah, Theodora, um, others even, you know, the, there's a reference, um, in the, uh, you know, by St. Gregory to his, his sister Macrina, you know, so there's, uh, um, and in, 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 in that, actually, his, the life of his sister, St. Macrina, that, that he writes, St. Greg of Nyssa, he refers to Ama Sincletica as the teacher, right? So, so she plays a key role in, in forming, you know, the, the great St. Macrina, who's played an important role in, in the fourth century. So, they're there, you know, and I think we should um, certainly listen to, to what they have to say. Um, it's obviously culturally a very different, you know, world from the world we live in, you know, today. So I think, you know, any women listening to this should, should take heart from the fact that, um, you know, that this is not a life or a a pattern of life uh, that is at all, you know, cut off from, from women. This is certainly an invitation to all. And I mean, it is a sad fact of history that unfortunately, the, the tradition of the Desert Mothers wasn't, as well, you know, documented as it might have been. Um, but I often think, you know, it's the same thing we've said before about, you know, married saints as opposed to, you know, monastic saints and, and that sort of thing. It seems like the, the people who were really getting busy doing an awful lot of good things in the life of, of the church just didn't necessarily take the time to, to document it as well as, as others. So, I, I think... You know, it's not that people who are married or people who are, you know, people who are women, you need to think that there's a, a lower likelihood of of sanctity somehow. It's probably that it's being noticed more by, by God than it is by the great, um, you know, documenters of, of human history. And uh, maybe there's something additionally humble about that and that we can actually treasure and and celebrate somehow but but certainly we as we go through this series we will definitely be referring to um, those sayings by some of those great amas as well as the abbas
1: i'd like to explore the genre of the sayings of the desert fathers and mothers. Now, I, you know, before we dive into the first set of sayings, um, I think it's important to just explore what even these things are. Uh, because I think, you know, when it comes to religious texts, I think most of us are probably used to things like maybe the gospels, right? So, it's there's a narrative and the teachings of Jesus are, are sort of embedded within a narrative that the gospel writers uh, put together. Um, you know, Luke says, I'm putting together an orderly account of all the things that happened, right? And Jesus goes, you know, to the north, then he turns towards the south, and he goes from town to town, and then he's in Jerusalem. And then in amidst all of those adventures, so to speak, he has these amazing teachings and conversations with real people with real characters. Um, and, and I think we're also used to, when we think of religious texts, we also think of great treatises on theology, I think, when we think about or maybe the big sermons. Even when you think of John Chrysostom or um, Athanasius the Great, has his uh, on the Incarnation, right? These, these pieces of beautiful theology, but they're done, you know, uh, instruction. They're they're teaching. They are treatises. They're exploring. They're they're thinking on the page, so to speak. But these sayings of the Desert and Fathers and Mothers are are different. They're just like little snapshots of. A saying and th- that's it like there's actually not much narrative embedded into these at all it just begins sometimes even with saying you know abba you know which means father you know abba anthony said and then it just says what he says and it doesn't necessarily give you the context or anything like that um so i don't know if you want to say a bit more about uh, the genre father jeffrey i did the best i could to sort of uh, bring us in but if you have anything more to add you can
0: yeah, so I mean, there's something quite unique about these, although you know they have parallels um, in ancient you know literature uh, to other kinds of you know teaching through you know kind of wisdom story and that sort of thing. I mean, if, if you think of parables or proverbs from scriptural narrative, they probably come closest to to the the kind of things that you get here. I mean, one of the things that's you know pretty obvious like with parables and proverbs is you're not looking for a kind of universal you know declaration of truth in in absolute terms if um right because they're all they're provisional they're circumstantial they're you know the, the 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 sort of story the sort of phrases that get you to think and it's that process of thinking and reflection and application right as a kind of almost theological reflection you know model here's a here's a thing that happened now we're going to get you to ponder and and reflect on that maybe put it into kind of relationship with other things and other wisdom sayings and other parts of of scripture and so forth and then you know to kind of go and and apply it but but it's not like we're getting a, a universal declaration of of you know rights and wrongs and that sort of thing, and and for that reason you get contradiction, right? You, you you find it systematizing these sayings is really really hard because you know Abba Antony might say something completely different one day to the next, or certainly Abba Antony and and Abba Arsenius, you know, might might say say different things. I mean, in that regard, it maybe resembles as well certain things that you find in Jewish tradition in terms of the storytelling and the the recounting of opinions and and application of the law to different circumstances right so rabbi so and so said this rabbi so and so said this but then rabbi you know the third came along and and um, you know came up with a, another you know approach to the things so this is concrete real human life but you know not Kind of absolutized in a moralizing sense, right? So it's it's wisdom literature, teachings, and and so forth, and you know, and as you say, sometimes just saying. Sometimes you know you get a whole narrative, you know, attached to it. It's some sort of prophetic action that somehow conveys the meaning, but you know, it, it really is suggestive of the way that we're supposed to to receive them, right? What would, what would make no sense altogether, you know, if you're told, you know, why don't you go read some Desert Fathers and, and Mothers, is to sort of sit down like you were reading a, you know, a spellbinding novel of some kind, and in an afternoon read through the whole collection. I think you'd find your brain melting a little bit just because of that variety and that, you know the way that it kind of eats away at the corner of your mind as as you reflect on on things it's more to be understood within that kind of oral tradition where you ponder and you reflect and you take you take in one of these short things they're all highly memorable right they're they're they they, they're highly evocative and so to to hear one of the stories and maybe hear it a few times and then carry it in your heart you know through the day and maybe see how your own life intersects with that narrative with that saying is there some point of connection you know um how might this connect with other things you know other aspects of scripture and so forth so there's a there's a way of kind of I would say that it's almost a prayerful reading you have to give to this. You know, there's that whole tradition of uh, Lectio Divina, right? The, the, that kind of prayerful reading where you read meditatively, slowly, reflectively, not, not extensively, right? Read only a, a short amount, carry that with you, apply that, make connections with other things. The, the memorization of these things could be a very useful spiritual tool as well to kind of carry this with you the way we encourage people to to memorize psalms or other bits of scripture uh but it it is a a particular literary genre it's not a you know, it's not a thing just to kind of say, okay, now I'm going to master the teaching of Abba Anthony and I, you know, am going to get a kind of systematic theology out of this or, or I'll know exactly how I'm supposed to live my life based on, you know, his, his, um, you know, guidance for me. Uh, it just doesn't work that way. It really doesn't. It's, it, all of the activity is in that kind of approach and dialogue and relationship that you form, you know, with the text and then ultimately with, with the people elders who stand behind the text right and who are so lovingly recorded and passed down you know through these collections and uh i think that's quite an exciting you know process you know it puts us in touch with people who are very as i say very serious about the gospel and you know we could use that in every age of the church and i think that's why it makes them so compelling so enduring so meaningful right um the you know, centuries have passed by. And as I say, you know, you might say, well, this in a historical sense was just the beginning of monasticism and I'll just investigate it for this reason. But, but no, actually, there's an immediacy here to, to their way of implementing the gospel in their lives and of coming to know Jesus and coming to know, you know, the, the, the Trinitarian life of communion of love. In and through their humility and direct encounter with God that will should still speak to us today and, and call us away from the kind of compromise and corruption of, of, of Christianity in our own day.
1: And that's what we're going to be doing for this series over the next few months. We're going to be reading through a couple of sayings each episode. Uh, We're going to be going through sayings based on particular themes. So we're going to be exploring them thematically. And we're going to think through them. And we'll sit with them for a week or two and see what happens there. Um, There's so much wonderful wisdom here. So we're very excited to share it with you. I think that's about it for an introduction. Father Jeffrey, was there anything else you'd want to add before we uh, before we begin the series?
0: No, I think that the way of just expressed that is is quite important. You know, I think the invitation here is to join us on a journey to get to know you know these figures, and you know, there's a wonderful phrase um, from Deacon John Chrysostom, an Orthodox um, theologian, um, you know, within the Greek Orthodox Church, and. and he says, "The desert produced healers, not thinkers. right? And so what we're looking for here, not so much ideas, right? where it, but more, you know this kind of total way of being a Christian with, you know, attentiveness, vulnerability, transformation, healing the fullness of what salvation you know means so it would be it would be wrong to approach this as a kind of ideas based you know series so i invite all of our listeners on that spiritual journey with us as we kind of meditate and and reflect on on the great teachings and lives of these fathers and mothers of the desert
1: Well, that does it for another episode of the private podcast of Enacting the Kingdom. Thank you again for all your support. Please feel free to comment with any follow-up thoughts or questions. Father Jeffrey and I read them all. Looking forward to having you back soon.